Welcome to MHM Podcast Network on moviehousememories.com. Podcast for pod people. Our feature presentation begins now. Welcome to Movie House Concessions on the MHN Podcast Network, where each episode we pull a random film from the display case to see if it tastes as fresh as the day it was released. I'm Patrick. And I'm Chad. And this month we're reviewing Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four from 1992, starring Michael Bailey Smith, Alex Hyde White, and Joseph Culp. And I have the summary for this gem of a film. Reed Richards, Ben Grimm, and Victor Von Doom are classmates in college. Reed and Victor are working on an experiment together that involves a passing comet named Colossus. Reed rents a room from Maystorm, who lives with her two children, Sue and Johnny. Sue has a secret crush on the much, much, much older Reed. One night, Reed and Victor conduct their experiment. Reed expresses his concerns about some of Victor's calculations, but the arrogant Victor expresses confidence in his own work and presses forward. However, the experiment goes horribly wrong. Reed urges Victor to leave the machine, but Victor refuses to fail and continues on. Ben bursts into the lab and saves Reed. An intense burst of energy erupts from the machine and scars Victor horribly. At the hospital, Reed is told by the doctor that Victor died from his injuries. However, Victor is still alive, and some mysterious doctors begin working on him. Ten years later, Reed and Ben are planning on flying an experimental spacecraft to examine Colossus as the comet passes by Earth again. Reed still carries the guilt for Victor's death with him and wants to complete the experiment that they began together to ten years before. The pair begin to recruit a crew for the spacecraft. They visit the now-adult Sue and Johnny Storm, who probably are just freshly out of college, who agree to join the crew, although they have no scientific background. Prior to their flight, Ben meets the blind artist Alicia Masters, and the two take an interest in each other. Reed's spacecraft requires a specialized diamond for the spacecraft to work, just like the space shuttle. The diamond helps protect the crew from the cosmic rays. However, the diamond is stolen by a thief known as the Jeweler, and replaced by an imitation. Meanwhile, Victor, now known as Dr. Doom, monitors Reed's experiment and intends to sabotage it in the hopes that it will kill his old friend. The spacecraft is launched into orbit and they approach the comet. However, the foursome is hit by cosmic rays as they try to absorb energy from the comet. They crash land back on Earth and discover that the cosmic rays have altered each of them and give them extraordinary powers. Reed's body has become elastic and stretches to inhuman lengths. Sue gains the ability to turn her body invisible. Johnny can generate fire around his body. However, Ben suffers the most dramatic transformation as his entire body turns into an orange rock-like skin. Ben is devastated by his transformation, but Reed promises to help him. The foursome are stranded in the middle of nowhere. Doom is frustrated that Reed and the others survived and sends his men out to find them. Doom's men find the stranded astronauts and impersonate United States Marines and capture Reed's team. Doom's doctors examine each of the transformed team members. Doom formulates a plan to extract their abilities and to place them into his own body. 
Doom theorizes that he will have a need for the real diamond and sends his men to contact the jeweler to acquire it. Reed and his crew become frustrated with their captivity at Doom's facility. They overpower their doctors and escape from Doom's imprisonment. During their escape, they encounter Doom and a giant laser designed for unknown purposes. The team regroups at the Baxter building and tries to decide what they are going to do with their powers. Ben leaves the group, feeling that he has become a freak. Back in New York, the jeweler sends his homeless henchman to abduct Alicia so that she can be the queen for his kingdom. He presents the stolen diamond as a wedding present for her. Doom's men contact the jeweler and attempt to negotiate for the diamond, but the jeweler rejects their offer. Doom's henchmen threaten to take the diamond from the jeweler by force, but the thief's henchmen outnumber Doom's men, so they leave empty-handed. One of the jeweler's homeless henchmen finds Ben on the streets, and the rocky hero joins the jeweler in his lair. Back at the Baxter building, Sue makes costumes for the team and dubs the group the Fantastic Four, even though Ben is not among them. Reed is able to determine that Victor is alive due to Doom's knowledge of Reed's experiment. In the jeweler's lair, Alicia refuses to marry the jeweler. Doom arrives at the jeweler's lair to acquire the diamond. The metallic villain easily overpowers all of the jeweler's men. Doom seizes the diamond and threatens to kill Alicia. Ben arrives and tries to rescue Alicia, who confesses her love for him, which causes Ben to revert to his human form. Ben runs away before either Doom or the jeweler's men can kill him. Once safe, his frustration causes him to revert back to his rocky form. Doom contacts Reed at the Baxter building and threatens to destroy New York now that he has the diamond. He also informs them that he is holding Alicia captive. The foursome, reunited, agree to form a team, and Sue confesses her love for Reed. Reed takes the name Mr. Fantastic, Ben becomes the Thing, Sue calls herself the Invisible Woman, and Johnny takes the moniker of the Human Torch. The Fantastic the Fantastic Four travel to Doom's lair in Latveria. Doom captures them and intends to siphon out their powers. Reed is able to use his stretching ability to release the team from captivity and stop the transformation machine. The Fantastic Four fight Doom's men and easily handle them. The Human Torch stops a laser from destroying New York, because fire defeats lasers, apparently. The Thing frees Alicia Masters from her captivity and introduces himself to her. She appears to not care about his rocky surface and to still care for him, the man. Mr. Fantastic and Doom have a final battle, which ends with Doom appearing to commit suicide by letting himself fall into a deep chasm, leaving Reed with his mechanical glove. After leaving the glove on top of Doom's castle, the glove begins to move on its own once Reed leaves, signifying that Doom still lives. The film ends with the wedding of Reed and Sue, with Sue dressed in a beautiful wedding dress and Reed in his Fantastic Four costume. And that is the Fantastic Four. <laughs> All right. Chad, any numbers on this unreleased film? <laughs> uh, yeah, they say it was released on May the 31st of 1994, which I guess that happened. They say it did. Allegedly, there is a budget of $1 million for this movie, even though nobody can really confirm that. Uh, let's see here. Um, it's been pirated for years upon years, so nobody knows how much money was made or lost from the pirating. Uh, let's see. In 2005, I think it was, there was a uh, release of a Fantastic Four movie uh, that had a whole bunch of money put into it, like $90 million, and it made 300 and some million dollars. 
Um, that's 300 and some million dollars more than this movie today made. <laughs> and then from there, they made another Fantastic Four movie with in 2007 with the Silver Surfer. And that one, again, had made like $300 million. And then from there... I know they made another one that was the worst picture at the Razzie Awards, I think, in 2015, and it made about $168 million, which, again, is $168 million more than what the one we're reviewing today earned. Uh, let's see. And then I know John Krasinski from The Office, you know, Jim. Yeah, he played Doctor Strange in the uh, – or, no, he was in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness in 2022 – as Reed Richards. So there's another version of somebody out in this. And then if you really, really, really want to know the behind the scenes on this movie, there's a 2015 documentary out there called doom, the untold story of Roger Corman's, the fantastic four. And it's out there and about to get some more details. Uh, let's see something called letterboxd uh, gives this thing a 1.8 out of something. I have no idea what, uh, 54% of the Google robots liked this movie, so that means 46% of them hated this. Uh, this movie gets a 3.8 out of 10 on IMDb, and Shane Adam Bassett's uh, employers at Rotten Tomatoes give this a 27% critic score and a 31% audience score. So that's the numbers I'll have for this movie, even though there's nothing official about this specific movie out there. All right, well, what was the numbers critics-wise, Rotten Tomatoes? Uh, 27%. All right, let's start with that. Uh, <laughs> is 27% of the population using drugs now? Uh, they must be. Either that or they've overdosed on those drugs <laughs> because only a dead person could like this movie. Uh, and we're already starting to crap all over this film. So this <laughs> film never got released. I do remember seeing a still image in some film magazine mm -hmm. of the Thing costume, uh, which is basically... I guess putting orange rocks on top of a uh, a Ninja Turtle costume from 1990 <laughs> and going from there, but it, it never got theatrical release. I can't, you know, I've never watched the documentary about the film, uh, mm -hmm. but I know there was a lot of, uh, at, at the time, there were studios that had rights to certain films, Fantastic Four. I know there was a Captain America movie that was also not released in its day that they were making movies just to retain rights. And I believe that was why Corman made this film, not to, not for the purpose of theatrically releasing it, but to retain the rights for the film so he could do with something with it later. Yeah, I know I saw a sizzle reel um, or a brief a trailer uh, that was maybe 10 to 20 seconds long back in the late, 80s that I think was just starting to get people interested in the fact that they were going to start making this movie and I don't think anybody who was in this movie was actually in that sizzle reel because uh, you never got to see anybody's faces so I think that was the the start of it all and then from there they again like you said they just made this so they could keep the rights well let's start uh, uh, I, you know I obviously this is a cinema deck comic book episode uh, I am mm -hmm. a huge fan of comic books, specifically of Marvel comic books. So I grew up reading Fantastic Four. Uh, not my favorite of the superhero teams. X-Men was more my favorite. Uh, but I, you know, I had more than a passing interest in you know, those issues and would read them quite frequently. Uh, I still listen to podcasts now about movies, uh, the, uh, superhero movies, and the, the constant thing about Fantastic Four films uh, that is stated that 
for it to work, you have to have two things. You have to have a believable uh, image of the thing, and you have to have a believable image of Mr. Fantastic stretching. <laughs> we have a rubber suit for the thing, <laughs> uh, animatronic, like the, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle, and I can't even begin to describe what they did for Mr. Fantastic other than here's a long arm. <laughs> what, yep. what did you think of those two special those two. effects? Okay. I I will give um, the thing credit for the way it looked back in that point in time, say whenever they created that thing in late 80s or early 90s. At that point in time, it would have looked decent. But, you know, we've now seen the 2005 and beyond films, and those all looked great with their computer enhancements. So, you know, it's one of those things. Uh, I I accepted for what it was and the, the money they put into it because, from what I understand, 99.9% .9 of the budget in this movie went into the Thing costume. So it wasn't great by any stretch, but for the time, it was decent. Um, now, the uh, Reed Richards, uh, Mr. Fantastic, that was just complete garbage. That was just a waste of time, and I don't even know what they did. I think I played PlayStation video games that had better um, technology used than uh, this movie did. Well, I mean, you literally had scenes where, you know, I, I believe it's when he's meeting with Doom's doctors right after they get their powers, where the doctor's talking to him, and suddenly an arm is stretched onto the screen, implying that he stretched his arm across the room. And it looks like someone stuck a two by four into a costume and just pushed it into camera range. And I was like, oh, my God, that looks absolutely horrible. And and I think the special the sound effect that they had with it was even worse. Uh, but, you know, I always thought the human torch, you know, turned into fire. He didn't turn into a cartoon character, uh, which is what happened in this film, is that yeah. the special effect of him being on fire, which doesn't happen until the very end of the film. I mean, he starts fires throughout the film, but he doesn't turn into literally the human torch until the last sequence when he's chasing the laser across the world. Yeah. I mean, I, I like you as like, I think the, um, the cartoon version of the human torch was a hell of a lot better than what they did in this. I guess they should have just uh, like taken some out takes of the cartoon, use it in this. It would have been the same exact thing. Now, I must give them credit. They did good for uh, Sue's invisible uh, powers. I mean, because what all you had to do is just not show her. So they didn't have to waste any money on that one. I give them a lot of credit for that one. They knocked that one out of the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, that was a great special effect. And then <laughs> Dr. Doom was a guy in a metal costume with, you know, a green rug around him. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, it. it I, I got to say, it's it's not far off from the character in the comic books uh, as compared to yeah. the doom character in the early two thousands films, the two films they made rise of the uh, silver surfer in the original mm -hmm. one. I didn't like the, the way they had doom turning into a metal person. I, I, mm -hmm. That was, I, I didn't like the change they made for that. That was not an effective no, I change. Agree. I think they did good with the costume on doom in this one. I mean, for what, you got to see of it. I enjoyed the fact that they sort of only showed you bits and pieces of it for a while. So they didn't overexpose it. And that really, really helped out because then you could sort of hide it in shadows. You didn't make it look foolish. And yeah, it did sort of look like a good suit. 
Um, I guess I, I said 99% of the budget went towards the thing. I'm going to say 75% because a good 24% must have went to the Doom costume. <laughs> well, they didn't do it on a lot of costumes. The, the, the actual no. costumes for the Fantastic Four, uh, horrible. <laughs> Is what yeah. I, I absolutely freaking horrible. I yes. I hated those things. <laughs> that was like, wow. Uh, I think my grandmother sewed a, a costume <laughs> like that. But it's the same. They couldn't go to a spirit Halloween and go buy a yeah. good costume. Yeah, back you, then. Could, you could get a costume at a costume store better than what they had then. I mean, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I agree, man. It was, it's just so laughable watching this one. I mean, you went through the summary of the movie, and I really don't remember much of the the storyline because it was so absurd i didn't want to put it too deep into my brain i was laughing too hard at the acting and the costume and the fact that commandant lassard is in this movie uh <laughs> briefly, made me laugh very yeah, briefly yeah in fact i saw him i'm still waiting for him to stand in front of the podium and see if there's a redhead inside of it yeah uh, when he was up there teaching the class there was many many <laughs> I was like, that that was the other 24% of their budget went to, <laughs> you know, Star Wars had uh, Alec Guinness. We're going to get Commandant Lassard from the Police Academy films. He's hot, you know, right now. He's just cranked out six of those bastards in the 80s. So, Well, that and he was coming off of his stint on Punky Brewster. So, you know, you forgot, had to get him in this movie. Forgot about that one as well. All right. So, well, you've hinted at this story. And as much as yeah. I, details I put into this summary and... I wrote the summary as I watched the film uh, because uh-huh. uh, I couldn't find a summary of this film anywhere. And it, it's hard to figure out what details really matter. Uh, and I would say most of them don't ultimately, but there is interconnection like the, the jeweler. Um, what the fuck was that guy? And why did we even have mm-hmm. to deal with him at all? Mm-hmm. Why did we need it diamond and that storyline all? But still, once again, this is a 90 minute movie. So that, yeah. fl- that, that really fleshed out the storyline to add that, portion of it i mean what what did you think of the all the altogether story i altogether it sucked i mean let's <laughs> face it i mean i was i was in it with the early stages where you had everybody in college uh watching the comet or whatever in the hell it was if it was the colossus and then you know they went off into space and they lost all their atoms and all that and they got reconstructed and everybody had their issues but yeah once they brought the jeweler into it i'm like where did this come from and why did we need this because i'm so used to the the richards and the fantastic four versus dr doom storylines that this jeweler just made no sense it it was like why are they even bringing this into it and then as you went along with it 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 still made no sense why uh, he was even then getting involved with Doom and Doom taking the diamond away from him. It's like, you just wasted time. Why not have something just with the main protagonist and antagonist? Why did you bring an intermediary into it that then never really panned out to be anything important? It was just a waste of time to expand out a already dull storyline in a dull movie that I mean, you could probably fall asleep and wake up and still know what's going on because nothing truly happens that's meaningful. Well, well, in the middle of it, I mean, it takes about a half hour before we get them launching into space right. for the mission. Uh, you get a lot of this backstory of Doom's accident with Reed when they're younger in college. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, you know, even a little bit of backstory of Sue being in love with a Reed when she's a child. Uh, <laughs> and... 
and uh, then we jump to her being an adult, presumably after college, and mm-hmm. he believes in suicide, so he's going to take people who have no scientific background, skill, astronaut ability whatsoever, and he's going to launch them into space to, to for a dangerous experiment because of the, the, the memory of his lost friend, Victor. Uh, it, it, I mean, it was just so ridiculous. And then once they got their powers, you have this long sequence of them being, I'm assuming, in Latveria at Doom's castle, where they're yeah. being examined. I wouldn't say they're necessarily being experimented on um, before they head, ba- head back to no- New York. And then you get the whole jeweler storyline, throwing in Alicia Masters. I know we always have to have the Alicia Masters aspect for the things love is uh, mm-hmm. traditional love interest, but it, I mean, it was just like it, it what, you know, there, there was two, I agree with you. This is supposed to be the Fantastic Four origin and taking on Dr. Doom. That's mm-hmm. it. And we got so much other crap that I was just like, come on, just move past this. That I, I, it's not that dissimilar to the Fantastic Four, the early 2000s uh, with uh, Christopher Evans, the first one. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, they have, they're in space, they have the accident, then you yep. have them kind of being experimented on, but that was succinctly described and moving on. And, and eventually Doom, you know, tries to take over the world or do whatever at the end of that film and they all unite together. Very similar to this. It's not that different, except you just don't have that whole backstory of, you know, earlier in, uh, Reed and Victor's lives. And you get in the 2005 version, you get the here's your powers now that are the so-called powers, and they have to learn to deal with them when it comes to dealing with the rest of society and the goods and the bads that you take with it. In this one, it was more like, okay, here's the accidents. Here's the powers. You sort of have to learn to use them now. Let's deal with um, uh, the things love story and the jeweler and then doom finds out about the powers and the diamond and he wants to take out he wants to take everything away that the fantastic four has captures them holds them in a loft with a beautiful widescreen television and then basically uh then fights with them over his, their powers and they escape and fa- uh, complete us uh the fantastic four uh, name and then try to fight him off and stop him entirely but you don't get any conflict because you're just being told a bunch of plot points and weird storylines that are supposed to mesh together and never truly have any meaning behind them. No, they, they, they don't at all. Uh, all right. All said and done on a scale of one to four. Ha ha ha. Uh, do you consider this film a bad one or do you give it a fantastic four? Oh, this is bad. This is uh, this is uh, about a half. I say watch it just because of its history and legacy, but it's a really, really bad movie. And I love bad movies, but this is bottom barrel. Yeah, I I, I, I tend to agree with you here. I, I this is not a a good film. Uh, it's not even a, an anomaly of hey, you need to see it because it's so bad. It, it's it's uh, the germ of an idea of like, let's make a fantastic four film and I'll give them credit. This is before, uh, or at least this is around the time of, uh, you know, digital effects, computer uh, effects through Jurassic park, really kind of blossoming onto the screen, uh, where they could have done something with the thing, which ironically they pretty much didn't do in the early two thousands either, but, uh, or with Mr. Fantastic, uh, I, I give it half a star, 
uh, I would not even recommend it for anyone who even has a passing interest in it. It's it's bad. It's just horrible. Uh, <laughs> I, I had never seen it until about a year ago. Uh, I've watched it twice. I, I have a Blu-ray. I won't have it much longer because uh, I sure. don't want to keep it for any reason at this point in time. It is, it is not a good film. I would not recommend it. Every version, including the 2015 version of the Fantastic Four, is better than this. And the 2015 yeah. version is barely recognizable as the Fantastic Four, yeah. but I still would watch it better than that. At least that has some money spent on it. This was this is incredibly, incredibly cheap. This thing's out there on YouTube, kids, uh, from start to finish. So go find it and then come back and bitch at us and tell us why we're wrong. Yeah. Bastards. If I'd known that, I wouldn't have bought it off the off of <laughs> eBay for on this Blu-ray. And let me tell you, it ain't high definition. <laughs> it's not, it may be a Blu-ray disc, but it's a it's it's a VHS version of the film for for sure. So, all right, that does it for our review of Roger Corman's The Fantastic Four. Please let us know what do you think of the film in the comments section on the uh, YouTube page and as well as our website. And for our listeners over on moviehousememories.com, please rate the film from one to five stars on that page as well. Uh, you can go less than one since Chad and I essentially did. Uh, if you've enjoyed today's review, please don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel, the MHN Podcast Network, where we have many, many more film reviews from yesterday, today, and beyond. All right. Until next time, I'm Patrick. And I'm Chad. And this concession stand is now closed. podcast is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The song Rock On Bretta is brought to you by Marwan Nimra at nintentine.com under a Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 license. All original content of this podcast is the intellectual property of Movie House Concessions, the MHN Podcast Network, and Fuzzy Bunny Slippers Entertainment LLC unless otherwise noted. 